Well, good morning again. Ah, good. All right, I, I only paused because I'm going to actually need you to participate in some things today. So again, if you need another donut, now's the time. All right, so we're in week three of our sermon series called Anchored, and it's about the core beliefs and core tenets of our faith. We go all the way back to 1517, and Martin Luther and some others were trying to make it clear to the Catholic Church that there's some things that are not quite right about what we're doing, and we need some reforms. It's the Reformation. You might have heard of that before. And so what, what we're doing, we're studying these things called the solas. And the word sola just means alone. And so we've looked at, in the first week, we talked about grace alone and the grace that can only come through Jesus Christ. Like, that you are being offered a gift of grace. You don't deserve it, and I don't deserve it, but it's offered to us, but we have to actually choose to receive that gift. And we, so Pastor Cole talked about that with us, grace alone. And then last week, Pastor Cole talked to us about how we have to have faith alone in Jesus Christ, that not our good works. We can't earn our way to heaven. We can't earn our way to salvation. You can't do enough good things, and I can't do enough good things to equal a holy God. We can't do it. Now, we do good works because of our faith in God. And because of that salvation, we do good works. So it goes in that order. Now, today we're going to be talking about soli deo gloria, glory to God alone. And I can't think of a better topic for me. Like, I'm excited today to share this with you. So glory to God alone, and here's where I need your participation help. There will be points awarded to the best person, not really, but maybe an extra donut if you do this really well today, okay? So every time I say these words, soli deo gloria, what I need you to say is glory to God. And when I say say it, I don't mean go, glory to God, right? No, I mean like really, really mean it, really put something in it. Here we go. Let's practice. Soli deo gloria. Y'all are, yes, yes. All right, good. This is the best out of the three services so far. Don't let me down from this point forward, all right? You, you got to do this. All right, so here's the thing. Many of you would be surprised to discover that before I entered into ministry, which has been like 16, 15, 16 years ago now, I was a music professor at Baylor University. Um, Sikkim Bears, anybody? All right, good. Like the, the two proud people in here. Yes, sick and bears. Um, but here, here's the thing. What that basically means is I still have a ton of useless information in my head about music and composers that really just doesn't come into play all that often. But if I were to ask each of you to name me a famous composer, someone would probably say Mozart, right? Like someone in here is probably going to say Mozart. Someone's probably going to say Beethoven. So I already heard it. Yeah, someone's going Bach. Yes, absolutely. Like th those are kind of the three that I would expect to come up. Here's some things you might not know about Johann Sebastian Bach. He was um, absolutely known now for his musical compositions, but really when he was alive, he was known for his abilities on the organ and really um, made some major advancements in the piano. Robert, you're going to love this quote. All right, it goes like this. He said, there's nothing remarkable about it, talking about playing the organ. All one has to do is hit the right keys at the right time, and the instrument plays itself. No more excuses, sir. Like, you just got like, to, it plays itself. Like, just hit the right keys at the right time. No big deal, right? Here's something about Bach that you also probably don't know. He actually truly believed that it was um, God who would give him the music. And all he wanted to do was give glory back to God constantly. So he would pray. He would bow his head and pray before he would write anything. And then when he finished, he would add three letters at the bottom of his manuscripts. SDG. Soli Deo Gloria. Glory to God. Uh, so you got some people who were on it. All right, good. It's going to come up often today. Y'all be ready. So Soli Deo Gloria. Uh, yeah, I sl slipped one in there on you. Um, Here's what's funny. That, well, I, I'll say this. Bach said this about giving God all the glory. He said, if we can get that one to switch, there we go. The final aim and reason of all music is nothing other than the glorification of God and the refreshment of the Spirit. That's a great quote, Bach. Good job. You might be surprised to know that Bach struggled throughout his life with holding down a church job. 
Like he got run off from pretty much every church where he ever served. You want to know why? Because while he was trying to give glory to God, other people were going, quit doing that. Just like, what's wrong with you? You're like doing things that are too showy. You know, like we just want you to just play the organ just like we want you to play the organ. Never happens today. That never happens anymore, right? Like the, someone might have a problem with the music going on. Um, but he, he actually, when he died in 1750, no one was really playing Bach music. He, he wasn't famous. Um, it was about 80 years later that his music kind of had a resurrection period. And the reason that you list Bach now as one of those like top three, top five, maybe composers that you know as a famous composer wasn't because of anything that happened in his lifetime. In fact, he never really received much acclaim while he was alive, but God did. God received glory from Bach. Soli Deo Gloria. So if you have a Bible or a smartphone or a tablet, what I want you to do is to turn to Romans chapter 11 or scroll there if you're going to do it that way. Um, if you don't have a Bible, don't panic. The scripture is going to be right up here on the screen for you. Um, and we're going to start, we're going to be hopping all over the place today. I'll be clear about that right up front. But we're going to start in verse 33. It says this, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. And I know many of you are going, I love to use the word inscrutable every day of my life. I use it all the time. No, you probably don't, and so just to make it clear what that means, it's basically impossible to understand or interpret. Inscrutable, right? How inscrutable his ways. It continues on, it says, For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Amen? Soli Deo Gloria. Y'all are getting good at it. All right. So there's three major things for us to consider today on this topic of Soli Deo Gloria. Here's the first one. His glory is demonstrated. David had these things to write in Psalm 19. It says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. So David's telling us, everything up there, everything in the heavens, they're declaring God's glory. And the sky above is proclaiming the handiwork down here. And day after day, when you woke up today, you got a new day, and it's going to speak to you. It's got some things to say to you. And tonight, before you go to bed, there's more knowledge that you can acquire just by learning from what God is trying to tell us. All of creation is proclaiming the glory of God. Have you ever noticed how amazingly refreshing it can be to just kind of unplug and go somewhere into nature? Now, some of you, um, you like to go to the, the woods. Like, how many of you, like, you, if you had to choose one place, you're, you're like, I need a forest, I need a little, maybe a cabin in the woods. Like, that's your, your go-to. All right, good. How many of you, it would be the mountains, Okay, and how many of you get, you go, oh, no, 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 I need a beach somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's kind of what I expected. Um, so my son Micah and I went on a trip this week. We were driving to St. Louis, a little road trip. But along the, the way, there's this place in the middle of Missouri. It's called the Merrimack Caverns. And we went down into the, these caverns, and it was just amazing to see the creation that's down there as well. You know, you get all the stalactites and the stalagmites, and I remember those words from when I was a kid and learning those in science class, right? But just to see them up close and just to see the majesty and uh, beauty of what God created, like I couldn't help but give God glory in the, those moments. Um, it's constantly being demonstrated to us. God is worthy of all glory, solely Deo Gloria. Good. All right, y'all are weakening on that. Um, so several years ago, National Geographic came out with this documentary. It was called One Strange Rock. And I loved it. The, the whole idea was they wanted to get the perspective of these astronauts. Because if you think about it, they're some of the only people who have ever not been on this Earth and then could tell us about it, like what that experience was like. So they wanted to get their perspective on, hey, did you learn anything about 
the earth from being, you know, up there. And so they had some thoughts and some ideas. Well, um, here's something that I think was really remarkable that I learned from it. So these uh, dust storm over in Africa, it's a pretty crazy dust storm. But what happens is that dust then flies all across the Atlantic Ocean all the way to South America. It's like America, but south. And it's, it goes to the Amazon rainforest. And it turns out that that dust is like the perfect fertilizer for all of the plants there in the Amazon rainforest. And they make 20 times the amount of oxygen that we need as humans to breathe, but they actually just keep it for themselves. They don't give any of, to, of it to us, but the trees become like giant straws and they suck up all the water and they shoot it up into the sky and there's just these rivers of fog and it's bigger than the Amazon River and that river of fog then travels all the way to the Andes Mountains where it slams into them and then it turns into rain again and the rain comes down and it washes down the mountains and along the way it picks up all these little nutrients and all this good stuff. It goes into the ocean and then it meets these guys. These are diatoms. You can't see a diatom up close with your eye. You have to use a microscope to see a diatom unless the diatoms all get together and guess what? Then you can see them from space. All that little light blue right there, that's diatoms getting together. And you can see what they're doing in the ocean. Here's what they're doing. They're creating 40% of the oxygen in our world. That means that if you take three breaths right now, one of those three really was because of those diatoms, which came from a dust storm in Africa. And I think that's pretty amazing. Soli Deo Gloria. Biomimicry is a word that you know, we say all the time too, right? Um, biomimicry, it just means the design and production of materials or structures or systems that are found, uh, they're modeled after things that are found in nature. Biomimicry. One example of that was Leonardo da Vinci back in the 1400s. He had this idea for a flying machine. Crazy, crazy idea, right? He was looking at birds and he saw what they were doing and he thought, ah, I think we should do that. And Orville and Wilbur Wright came along in the 1900s, and they said, yes, Da Vinci, we agree. And so they started, started studying the wings of sparrows, and they were mimicking their design for a plane after that. Today, here's what we do. Scientists are studying bees and the way that bees land to help them design better aircraft, ways to land our aircraft. So now, all of a sudden, our aircraft will land like this, like because they learned that it, that's the most efficient way. The bees have got it right. We've got this African polypterous fish. It turns out that its scales are pretty amazing, and so now scientists are studying it so that we, they can make stronger and lighter body armor based off of the design of these scales. And the gecko eye, the gecko's eye is 350 times more sensitive than the human eye, and they can see color in the dark, which I think is pretty cool. You know what they're using that for? Night vision camera technology. Scientists are going, you know what? Like, we could probably, like, learn some things from nature. It's almost like the design of nature is better than anything that we have. Wouldn't it be foolish for us to look around and to see all of the glory, all of the things that have been designed from a macro level down to a micro level, and to look at it and go... When? What were the chances? What an accident. You know, Paul had some things to say about that too. In the book of Romans, in chapter 1, he says this, For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature 
rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Paul tells us that we have no excuse. His glory is evident. It's all around us. Don't exchange the truth about God for a lie. And yes, marvel at the creation. Absolutely do that. But don't give glory to the creation. Give glory to the creator who made the creation. I've asked our band to come back up um, for a song this morning. And as they're coming up, I, I want to continue along this thought. So I used to think it was kind of strange, and some of you probably have thought about this before, that out of all of the galaxies and all of the planets that are out there, right now, as far as we know, we're the only one that has um, life that has life like us anyway, right? No, who knows, right? Maybe, maybe there is, maybe there isn't something else out there. But what I do know is uh, that I used to think that was kind of strange, but now I've kind of gotten to the point where I realize, you know, we keep building bigger telescopes and better telescopes. They, they look out further, and we get microscopes that are able to see smaller and smaller and smaller. And every time we do this, you know what we keep finding? There's more. It's as if God keeps saying to us, yeah, go ahead, make a better telescope, because guess what I want to do? I want to show you that I made more. Make another new telescope. I got more beyond that, too. Get a microscope that can go even smaller than you can imagine. I got more that's smaller there, too. Which way you want to go? Macro, micro? I got more for you. That's what God's saying to us over and over and over. I think it's astounding. Even in the book of Job, the book of Job says that stars are singing, and for years, Generation after generation, I think most people just kind of thought that that was figurative language. It's metaphorical. But within the past 25 years, scientists discovered stars are actually emitting sound constantly. And they were surprised by this. And I'm like, Book of Job said they were singing. What did you think it meant? Just saying, I, th I think the stars have been singing all along. Um, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to sing this song. Um, right now, and what I want you to do is to worship with us. If you know the song and want to sing, great. You can sit, you can stand, you can do whatever, but watch the video as we go through this as well, um, and just give God some glory today. Once 
Soli Deo Gloria. So his glory has been demonstrated to us. Here's the other thing we need to know today. His glory is deserved. This is what it says in Isaiah chapter 6. It says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now, holy is a word that we um, really pretty much these days, we pretty much only use that in church, right? And we come here and we say that God is holy. 
and we sing it. We sang it in the first service today. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Here's what holy means, in case you're wondering. Um, so holy is just means this. It's a set-apartness. Like, it's apart from. It's an otherness. There's a sacredness to it. God is so set apart from his creation, yet he came to be with his creation and to know what it was like to be with us. But he's set apart from us. That means he's blameless. He's sinless. That thought that you had on the way to church this morning, the anger that you dealt with with your children, or last night, the thing that you did, God's never done it, ever, ever. He's holy. Here's what Scripture does. If you ever see something that comes across more than one time, it's probably important. Jesus would often say this. He would say, verily, verily, I say unto you. And he was saying, like, hey, no, like, for real, for real, pay attention. If it happens three times, though, it's a whole other ballgame. Here's how we ought to read this scripture, and even when we sing holy, 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 we sing it and we go holy, holy, holy. It shouldn't really quite sound like that. When you read this scripture, it should be holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. You don't understand how far different he is from us. You can't grasp it because we're so used to us we live in our brains and we can't fathom or understand how someone could not sin. But if he did sin, he wouldn't be holy and he wouldn't be worthy. We couldn't give him glory. Holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. That means nothing else deserves his glory. Nothing else in the world deserves any glory. Not fame, not money, not your job, not your possessions, not even your family, not politicians, not celebrities, not athletes. Nothing else deserves his glory. But the question is, is why? We should have that question. Why does he deserve our glory? Here's the first thing. He's our creator. Seems obvious. This is what it says in Revelation chapter 4. It says, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. That breath in your lungs that we sang about earlier. We don't give thanks to the diatoms normally for that, right? Thank you, diatoms, for creating 40% of the oxygen, but here's the thing. Who created the diatoms and your lungs? and the oxygen. We don't give glory to the creation. We give glory to the creator of the creation. We have to do it in that order or else we're missing it. It only makes sense, right? There's two pitfalls, I, th I think, that come when we think about how God is our creator. Two potential pitfalls. Here's the first one. We try to take the place of the creator. You know, like I'm going to be a self-made man or a self-made woman. I'm going to pull myself up by my own bootstraps. I got this, God. I don't need you. Never needed you. We, we do this sometimes, right? Like, wouldn't it be so weird if a woman gave birth to a child and the child came out and immediately looked at her and went, I did it. I mean, it would be weird for so many reasons, right? A talking baby, like, that, that's, that's crazy. But do you get what I'm saying? Today's Pie Day, March 14th, 314, right? And, and I love to make me a nice apple pie. Like, I, I really do make a pretty good apple pie, if I do say so myself. And other people have confirmed this, so it's not just me saying it. But if I made the pie, if I put all the ingredients into the pie and I put it in the oven and I opened the oven and the pie came out and was like, I am an awesome pie. Look at what I just did. Right? Like, okay, talking pie, also weird. But do you get what I'm saying? Like, we would never do that. 
except that we do. We do this all the time as adults, as teenagers, as kids. We do this. We start to think, I, I can do this. I can handle this on my own. I don't need you, God. You're just the one who created me. I've got this. I can do better. That's a pitfall. It's a danger. It's a trap. Here's a second pitfall. It's just as important, and maybe we'll touch on more of you today. It touches on me for sure. It's this. You struggle with this idea of the Creator because deep down you kind of think He messed up when He made you. I saw a bunch of head nods. So I'm going to dwell here just for a second. Some of you, I know, like deep down at night, you look around and you go, everyone else is okay. Like, they're amazing. God, I'm so glad that you made them, but why did you mess me up? Why did it have to be me that's not right? This is where I struggle, and I know I'm not the only one. So here's, here's what God has to say about it. He's got some very specific things to say about it. Ephesians chapter 2 says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship. Now some translations are not going to say workmanship, they're going to say masterpieces. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I want to talk about the idea of a masterpiece. You know where a masterpiece doesn't end up? On grandma's fridge. Now, my kids, um, they love to draw, right? And they, they will come up with this amazing piece of art. But the truth is, it, it's not a masterpiece necessarily. Like, it's maybe their best effort, and that's really great. You know what we do with masterpieces? We build buildings around masterpieces and we house them there like the Louvre in Paris, right? And you go to it and they're on display and, and everyone can see the amazing masterpiece of art. And God says that you are his workmanship, you are his masterpiece, that you were created in Christ Jesus, not because you did good works. You were created in Christ Jesus for good works. And he prepared those beforehand. Here's the thing. You were created on purpose and with a purpose. He prepared you. He prepared you for these, these good works. He prepared those beforehand so that you could walk in them to bring him glory. And he says you're a masterpiece. Here's what I know. You are the most you in the entire universe. There's never been another you. There's never been another me, and we can all give God glory for that this morning, that there's no one else that's like me. But there's no one else that's like you, and you are a masterpiece. You've been saved through faith. I hope you have. The second reason that his glory is deserved it's not just because he's our creator, but also because he is our redeemer. And this is a word, again, that we don't use very often, redeemer. This is what it says in Isaiah chapter 44. Remember these things, O Jacob and Israel, for you are my servant. I formed you. You are my servant. O Israel, you will not be forgotten by me. I have blotted out your transgressions, amen, like a cloud, and your sins like mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. Sing, O heavens, for the Lord has done it. Shout, O depths of the earth. Break forth into singing, O mountains, O forest, and every tree in it. For the Lord has redeemed Jacob and will be glorified in Israel. So we don't use this word redeem very often. We come here to church, and you might hear it, and we'll sing, sing, oh, sing of our Redeemer, and then we kind of leave, and we don't really probably grasp the significance of that word, what it means to be redeemed. When I was a kid, my grandmother, uh, Corinne, would, would take me out in her yard, and she lived right next to this road, and there was a big, long ditch, and I lived in southeast Arkansas where... Um, 
you know, people just didn't really care about littering. And so she would get a trash bag and say, let's go. We're going to pick up the trash today. And we would go out there, and what we would find is a lot of bottles. And it would be like this Coke bottle right here, the, you know, glass Coke bottle. And it used to be that somewhere on the bottle they would imprint, you know, the, the word redeem. And then sometimes right next to it it would say like five cents, right, or something like that. Here's, here's the thing that was always amazing to me as a kid, right? So you're telling me, Mama, that if I take this to someone, they're going to give me a nickel? Hold up. Give me that trash bag, right? Like, I want to go make all the money. I'm going to pick up all these bottles. I'm going to take it. So here's what happened. You know, someone was driving along this road, and they looked at this bottle, and they, they just finished it, and they're going, what am I going to do with this? This is trash. So they throw it out the window. But someone else had already said, I don't think it's trash. In fact, I want it. If you'll bring it to me, I want to give you something for it. I I have value for it. You know what I want to do with it? I want to make it new again. I want to take what this other person thought was trash, and I want to make it brand new because I see its worth. And God does that with us. And that process of being renewed is not necessarily always easy. I'm imagining that that glass bottle is like, you know, when it goes into the fire, it's not going, yay, I'm so excited about this. Yet it comes out brand new and it's better and it's ready to be used and it has a purpose and you do too. You have a purpose and you were created on purpose. And you, if you are in Christ, you have been redeemed solely. Deo Gloria. Years ago, and before I I move on from that actually, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says this, you were bought with a price. And that price was paid in full on a cross for you and for me, for all eternity. But years ago, I was on a mission trip to the town of uh, Farmington, Maine, to a college campus. And it's a long story about how that happened. We were supposed to go to Seattle. And somehow the Holy Spirit just kept telling us um, to move eastward and we ended up as about as far away as you could get we were in Maine and really there was nothing in this town other than this college campus there's not much to do and we went without really a big plan which is not necessarily advisable but we went with the plan of we're gonna go and we're gonna just see what the Holy Spirit says to do and so uh, often we would just find ourselves having conversations with the students there on campus and I can tell you that, you know, personally, I sat and talked with student after student after student, and I wanted to share my faith in Jesus Christ with them. And here's what came up in almost every single conversation. They would get to this point where I would say, talk about this gift of grace that was, had been offered to them, and they would go, that sounds amazing. I wish that I could have that. And I'm like, you, you can. And then they would follow with this sentence. But you just don't understand what I've done. And here's what I know. There's probably even someone in the room right now who, when I said that, you're like, yeah, like, that's me. You don't understand what I've done. You're standing up there with a microphone. You haven't lived my life. You have no idea what I've done, the things that I've done. God could never accept me. And I want to ask each of you today to consider something with me. When you go through the account of Scripture that talks about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ— I want to ask today, what is it that you have done that Jesus didn't give enough for? So when they put the nails through his hands, was that not enough suffering for your sin? When they nailed him to the cross, when they put the nails through his feet, did that not cover what you've done? You know, the time that you stole that thing, When they shoved the thorns down onto his skull, was that not enough 
suffering that Jesus went through to cover for that? What is it that you've done that you don't think that he suffered enough for? Lying, cheating, stealing, slander, anger, murder, even murder. What is it that he could have done more? When I look at it, I, I, I go, did he have to do all of that? Yeah, I think he did because we're all liars and cheaters and sinners. And he had to do just enough. He had to do all of it and he paid it in full. And he redeemed us and he has a purpose for each and every one of us. The good news today and every day is this. Romans 5, 8 says, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So that today, while you're still a sinner, he still loved you and he still died for you. Soli Deo Gloria. He is our redeemer and his glory is deserved. The final thing today is as we try to remember to anchor our faith in something solid, is his glory is also demanded. This is what it says in Isaiah chapter 48. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. So his, he's our creator, he's our redeemer, and his glory will not be shared. Jeremiah 13 says this, For as the loincloth clings to the waist of a man, so I made the whole house of Israel and the whole house of Judah cling to me, declares the Lord, that they might be for me a people, a name, a praise, and a glory. But they would not listen. See, Jeremiah was lamenting about how wayward Israel had become they were created and redeemed for the glory of the Lord, and they, they were supposed to be his people, but they wouldn't listen. Some of you in here today, I know, because I, I, I'm standing up here, I get to see you. Some of you in here today, God's called you, and you've stopped listening. It's just what we do. There is hope. This isn't just an Old Testament thing. This is what it says about the day that Jesus returns for us. It says, when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all you who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. And three times in Ephesians chapter 1, it says that we, are to be, we were made to be the praise of his glory. Our purpose for being made was to bring God glory. So why should he share that? Should he share that? Probably not. He doesn't force us, though, to give him glory. You ever stop to think about that? He's not going to make you do that. When we stand up here to sing and I say, hey, okay, everybody get up and sing. Some of you do this. You stand up very reluctantly and you keep your mouths closed because you're like, oh, no, I don't have a good voice. Here's, here's the thing I want to encourage you to do. If God gave you a bad voice, give it back to him. Right? Like, sing loud. Don't keep your mouth shut. Give glory back to God. God is going to receive his glory, even if it's not through us. When Palm Sunday comes here in just a little while, um, we're probably going to go to this passage again, and we'll look at it, and we'll talk about it again. But today I want us to look at chapter 19 in, verse, in, in Luke, starting in verse 37. It says, As he was drawing near... Already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. 
Now it says at the beginning of that passage that the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. You know what the most mighty work that they had seen was just a few days before that? Jesus raised a man from the dead. His name was Lazarus. And here's what was going on. Those multitude of disciples were going, if he can do this, if he can raise a dead man back to life, all glory and honor and praise should go to him, and we want him to be king. It only makes sense, right? If he can do that, we're going to give him all glory and all praise. And the Pharisees are incensed. They were so upset by the whole idea that Lazarus had been dead and he came back to life. They weren't arguing about it. They knew that it was true. But they didn't like it and they wanted Lazarus dead and they wanted Jesus dead. And so they say to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Tell them to shut up. He said, look, if they're silent, I'm still going to get my glory. The rocks will cry out. Here's what happened literally just less than a week later. Those same people who welcomed Jesus in with the shouts of praises and Hosanna in the highest. You need to be our king. If you can do this, if you can raise a dead man to life, please, we give you all glory and all praise forever and ever and ever until less than a week later. And instead, we're going to now say crucify him. Crucify him. We don't want you anymore. And here's the thing. I used to think that when he said, you know, if, if I don't get my glory from these people, that the rocks will cry out. I used to think of that in the same way that I did. The heavens declare the glory of God, and all the creation, they, they just declare the glory of God. I used to think of it like that. Honestly, now, here's what I, I think all of the people who were supposed to be praising him and had been praising him, they got quiet. They went silent. They stopped praising him. They disappeared. They ran away. But the rock in front of his tomb is crying out still in a big way. It's crying out. It's going, yeah, no, he's not here anymore. There's life again. He's new again. Death couldn't hold him. It's crying out. Did you know that the earth shook while he was being crucified and the skies darkened? All of creation was sending him glory. And here's what I know. Most of us do this. The day that we come to salvation, saving faith in Jesus Christ, we go, all glory to you. I was dead and now I'm alive. Praise to you, God. Praise forever and ever and ever. All glory to you. And then some time passes. And we start thinking that we can handle it on our own. I'm embarrassed to say, I do that. I think you do too. Sometimes I stop giving God glory. It's not okay. He's going to get his glory. And I need to participate in it. I need to do that with my mouth. So that means whenever I go out and I see the glory of God demonstrated in the mountains, I should tell him, I should thank him and say, God, you are glorious. It's amazing what you've done here. When we look through a telescope and we see more and more and more galaxies, we go, God, you're so much bigger than I even thought. I can't fathom it. When I look at my kids and I see the glory of God demonstrated in them, I need to tell God. When I look out at you, I should say something to you and say, man, I, I really am thankful for you. I'm so glad that God's glory is on display through you. You are a masterpiece. It's a weird thing to say to someone, right? You're a masterpiece, Carson, right? Like if I walk up to you and say that, you're going to go, that, thank you, that was creepy. But here's the thing, like I should thank God and give him glory for that. The question today is can you see him? 
in all of his creation? Can you see him? The bigger question is, do you know him? Jonathan Edwards was a famous American preacher. He said this back in the 1700s. He said, God is glorified not only by his glories being seen, but by its being rejoiced in. When those that see it delight in it, God is more glorified than if they only see it. Say something to God. Don't just see it. See it and say it. We have to see him. We have to know him. So a couple of years ago, I received these really, really cool glasses. They're, they're amazing, these glasses. Um, I have 20-20 vision, but I have to wear glasses. That's, that's a weird thing, right? Um, turns out that my entire life, I've had this thing. It's called vertical heterophoria. I had never heard of it before. It's a big mouthful. Here's what it basically means. I have one eye that's just slightly misaligned with my other eye. And it's been that way my whole life. I had no idea. You know why? Because when I was younger, um, my brain would look at something and I would reprocess everything that I saw. My entire life, I've reprocessed every image that I saw to make it look right, like compensate for it. But now I'm getting older <laughs> and slower. My brain doesn't quite fire on all cylinders like it used to. And here's what we discovered, is when I was driving, we would get up to like 65 miles an hour and all, the whole world would suddenly start spinning like crazy. And I would freak out, like I'm fixing to kill everybody out here. So I did what any smart person would do, or maybe a dumb person, I don't know. I went and Googled my symptoms. And what I found out is two things were possible. I could have a brain tumor, or I might have this eye condition, and we are very thankful that I have the eye condition, right? Um, because it can be fixed. What I had to do is I had to go do a whole bunch of eye tests, and you can't see it. If you walked up and looked at my eyes, you can't really tell that one is misaligned. You can't do it. They have to use special equipment, and it took like two hours of tests, and um, they were able to determine, yes, you have one eye that is slightly misaligned than the other, and we're going to give you some corrective lenses that will kind of realign everything for you. And now I can drive again without you being terrified that I'm on the road. Um, or maybe you should always be terrified that I'm on the road, but, but not for that reason. Here's what I know today. Some of you, you're misaligned right now, and you know it in your spirit. And it, does, it may not be a big thing. Like, I'm talking minuscule misalignments sometimes make all the difference. I know this personally just from a physical standpoint, but I also know it from a spiritual standpoint that we can so, so easily get misaligned. But what are you going to do about it? Are you going to listen to today's message? Are you going to listen to how we're supposed to give God all glory and all praise? And you're just going to go... All right, cool. I came to church today. Mark that off the list of things to do. Are you going to take what you've heard and apply it into your life? I don't want you to be, and I don't want myself to be like the people who said, and you raised Lazarus from the dead, and you raised me from the dead, and I'm brand new and I'll celebrate you and give you all glory forever and ever and ever until, like, I don't, when I'm just over it. Don't get over what he did for you and who he is. If you have, if you've found yourself, as I'm saying this, going, I think I am misaligned a little bit. Maybe, maybe a lot bit. That's what I would say to my kids, a lot bit. If you find yourself doing that today, this altar is about to be open for you. I'm going to ask our praise team to come forward. Um, maybe today, as I was talking, and I said something about how um, sometimes we feel like we, we are messed up, that God messed up when he made us. If that's you, it doesn't have to stay that way doesn't 
far more important to listen to what the Creator said about the creation. Don't be arrogant and start to think that you know more than God. And I'm talking to myself as I say that. If He redeemed you, if He says that you're not trash, but that you're a masterpiece, then start to believe it and do it today. If you need to come up here and pray and just tell Him you're sorry for thinking that you weren't worthy of his love. Here's the, here's the good news. You're not worthy of his love, but he gives it to you anyway. And he's worthy of our praise and glory for that. If that's you, I want you to do something today. Here's what I know. If we are silent, all of creation is going to stand and praise him and shout his glory in our place Maybe we should just join in and do something about it. Maybe we should take the lead and not let the rocks do it on our behalf, not let the skies do it on our behalf. What are you going to do today? Maybe for you, you're not misaligned. You recognize that you've never been aligned at all with Jesus Christ. Here's what you need to know. God is holy, holy holy. There is no sin in him. Here's a problem, though. I know for myself and for all of you, all have fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned. You're a sinner. I hate to break it to you, but you are. I know that because you've lied and I've lied. You've had fits of rage. I have, too. We all have. So how do we reconcile these two things? We've got a holy God who is without sin, cannot have sin in his presence. And then we've got his creation who, that's what we do. We're really good at it. How can that be? How can we reconcile the two things? How can those be brought together? They can only be brought together through the perfect and sinless life of Jesus Christ who came as a sacrifice to live on this earth, to live a blameless life, the perfect sacrifice for us. He made it possible. It's only through that life and his death on a cross that the grace of God is poured out to us. And so for you today, you get to choose. You get to listen to that, and you get to now choose. Because God loves you that much, he's not going to force you to choose him but he loves you so much and he desperately wants you to choose him. Here's all you have to do. Just admit that you're a sinner. I think it's pretty easy, right? You, you don't want to be like the person who's the self-made man. Like, I got this, God. I'm doing all right on my own. No, you're not. You're not. Just admit that you're a sinner. Then believe that Jesus Christ is who he said he was. He was a real person, and he came for you and died for you. If you'll believe in him and then commit to follow after him, to make him Lord of your life, that's all it takes. All you have to do is do those three things, to be made new, to be redeemed. I'm going to pray for us. And I want you to, to pray with me right now. If, if the Lord is stirring in you, if you feel something happening inside of you, and it may not be for salvation, it may be that you need to get some things straightened out. Listen to that thing that's stirring inside of you. We call that the Holy Spirit. And get it right. Please don't leave here today without knowing where you stand with God. Let's pray together. Father, we give you all glory. You are holy, holy, holy. I recognize in myself I'm still sinful, but I thank you so much that you love me and you loved me so much that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die in my place. I didn't deserve that, but I thank you for that. 
So I pray for anyone in here today that they would have the courage to actually make a step of faith, do something today. Not just keep their mouths closed. That the rocks wouldn't have to cry out on our behalf because we're not doing it. Lord, if there's anyone who's been misaligned with you, I pray that today they would get it right, that they would come to this altar, they would pray, ask for forgiveness, and seek to to bring you glory in all things. God, if there's anyone here today who this is the first time that they feel your presence with them and they want to know more about what it means to actually follow after you, God, we want to be a church that can help walk them through that process. You are glorious. You deserve all glory forever and ever from all of your creation. It's in Jesus' holy name we say, amen.